Hey, it's good to be it's good to be back together this morning. Um, I you know I really like New Year's. I, I really like that kind of sense when Christmas is finished, when we get to kind of tidy up away all the wrapping paper, when we get to kind of look forward to the new year, when we think, oh yeah, New Year's resolutions. You think about all the things that we're going to do. We think about the places that we're going to travel to. We think about all the fun and the adventure that we're going to have, all the amount of exercise that you're going to do this year that you didn't do last year. Think about the diet that you're going to go on and how much better that you're going to feel by the 20th of January when you accidentally find yourself in a queue for In-N-Out Burger, don't hypothetically speaking and all things fall apart, all of those kind of things. You know, the, the new year can be so exciting when we think about like the new beginnings. But of course, if we're really honest, this is a different kind of new year, isn't it? I mean, this is not a kind of new year that we have ever had before. We are in the very throes of the biggest global pandemic that we've had in, in living memory. Like even as I speak this morning, we have uh, community members who are in hospital. We have people in our community who are mourning the loss of loved ones. We've got people who are struggling in all sorts of different ways. This is not the kind of new beginnings where we all kind of jump up and go, yeah, we're going to charge around the world and do amazing things over the next few months because of course we've got all these kind of restrictions and things around us. We can see the future. We can see a vaccine. Praise Jesus for a vaccine that is coming. We know that later in the year we'll be able to do a lot more than we can right now. But right now we're, we're kind of in the middle of it. So as I was thinking and I was praying, I took some time out just before Christmas and said, hey God, well, like if we start a new year together, our second year as Vintage Pasadena, what do we need to do? What do we need to push into? What do you want to say to us as a community as we think about those things? And I just, I felt God kind of give me a, a whole kind of string of things which we're going to spend some time thinking through together. But they were really over, uh, under this kind of heading. How do we allow Jesus the life of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the presence of Jesus to permeate every part of who we are, down to our fingertips, down to our toes, uh, into our heart, into our head. How do we allow Jesus's identity to become our identity that before we're kind of parents or friends or brothers or sisters or, you know, like, sports fans or Californians or whatever it is, that actually we are followers of Jesus. How do we allow that to become true in our life? And, and I felt like God just kind of speak to me about like, you know, that infiltration of the good news of Jesus. And so we're going to talk over the next months about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in the area of our relationships? What does it mean to follow Jesus in the area of our finances, of our workplaces? What does it mean to follow Jesus um, in the areas of, of the environment or justice and all these kind of different places that we're going to talk about over the months to come. And I hope that they're going to be practical. hope they're going to be interesting. hope that there'll be things that you might even want to bring a friend to along the way. Um, but before we can do that, I also just felt God, God say, hey, Ben, but where are your, where are your foundations? Where, where is your heart? And I felt like God kind of talked to me a little bit about, about the beginning. And so that's why we're going to do something a little bit uh, different to start with. So a um, little spoiler alert. Um, if you come to church, you almost always get an analogy about Hong Kong. So, so sorry, but you're here. I used to live there, so you just have to listen to that. But um, when, uh, when I lived in Hong Kong in the 1990s, they built this massive new airport. Um, the old airport was one of the scariest airports on the planet. If you ever flew into it, it 
well done for still being alive. Um, but the new airport they built was right on the outlying islands of Hong Kong, right far out. And what they did was they took the top off one mountain, threw it in the sea, created like this big flat area and built an airport onto it. But because it was so far away from the city center, they had to build this massive great rail and train, uh, rail and road network to get out there. But they also had to create a whole new city to service the airport. So they chopped off the side of a mountain, they put this city called Tung Chung there. Now, um, my, my great family friend, my dad's friend, his job was to design these massive skyscrapers. If you've been to Hong Kong, like, they don't do single-story buildings so much. They do like 50-story buildings. And uh, his job was to design this whole row of massive skyscrapers, which people were going to live in who worked at the airport. They were somewhere between 50 and 60 stories tall, residential blocks. And there was all this fanfare about them. They were going to be amazing. And as we went backwards and forwards to this new airport, we saw them being constructed, and it was all this great engineering marvel until they opened. And when the first people moved in and the first storms came through the territory, the people who lived inside them reported that there were huge cracks appearing in all the walls. And if you can imagine living on the 50th story of an apartment building and a massive crack appearing in your wall, I think I would get out pretty fast. It's a lot of steps to climb down to get out of the building. But that's what happened. And so this public inquest was launched in Hong Kong. Like, what happened? Was it my friend's fault? Was it his company? Was it the land that was sitting on? What had actually gone wrong with these buildings? And it was in the newspapers, on the TV. But after a while, what they realized is there was nothing wrong with the design. There was nothing wrong with the buildings themselves, but the person who had awarded the construction contract had inadvertently awarded it to the Hong Kong triads, which is like the Hong Kong mafia. And when they built the buildings, although the building was fine, they hadn't put the foundations into the buildings. Now, if you know a little bit about Hong Kong, it's made of granite. It's the complete opposite of what these mountains are made up here. Like these mountains up here, you go up there, you basically feel like you're on a beach and you're going to fall off it at any moment. Like Hong Kong is made of the really hard stuff. And so what they do is that they pile down, like with big steel girders and nails, right the way down into the bedrock, way down so that they can bolt these very tall buildings on the top. But these buildings had no real foundations, which meant they were like pencils just perched on top of a table. That's about how stable they were. They didn't have a foundation, which meant that their whole purpose, their whole ability to withstand anything was completely compromised. And as I was praying before Christmas, I just felt God say to me, hey, Ben, where are your foundations in me? How deep do your foundations in Jesus really go? You know, this last year, 2020, thank you, Jesus, that 2020 is finished, and thank you that we're in a new year together. But all the data that we're getting from across the U.S., a big, great study that's just been completed at the moment from, um, from uh, what are they called, the organization that do big studies? Gallup? No. Yeah. Gallup. Could be Gallup. Um, have done this massive, great survey and found that the church attendance, engagement with anything to do with religious activity, which has been very, very stable in the U.S. for the last like decades and decades and decades, in 2020 went through the floor. Now, of course, there's elements of that which is about safety and COVID, and we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But all the evidence coming out says, seems to imply that people, through the turmoil of a, of a global pandemic and everything else that went with it, have actually given up on being involved in kind of religious activities and faith and all of those kind of things. And that's really scary. Now, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. But it seems like the very foundations, the stuff that we have invited people to put into their lives, hasn't been enough 
it hasn't been enough to allow them to walk through the storms. So maybe if they sort of came through, if you know, if you grew up in the evangelical tradition, you know, that kind of sense of we're going to go to church, we're going to put on a great show for you on a Sunday morning, you're going to read your Bible in the mornings, do your quiet time, that hasn't been enough. Or in the charismatic tradition, we're going to go to church and have an amazing experience of worship, and then we're going to go home and have another experience in worship. That hasn't been enough. That there's been something in this whole journey where people are realizing, oh my goodness, we need to have deeper foundations than we thought we needed because we are in bigger storms than we ever expected to have. And so today I want us to think a little bit about how we can put strong, deep, practical foundations into our lives, which means that we can grow and flourish. Jesus puts it a little bit like this in Matthew chapter 13. He said, there was seed, seed sown by the farmer for growth, falling on rocky ground. And it refers to people who hear the word and at once receive it with joy, become Christians. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. How do we put great foundations in our lives? Well, we're going to look at a guy called Daniel today. Um, If you've ever read the Old Testament of the Bible, fantastic guy. And we're going to have our reading from Daniel chapter 1, which uh, Chelsea, who's here this morning, is going to come and read. If you've got it in your Bibles or on your phones, Daniel 1, verses 1 to 21. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Aspenaz, king of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those whom were chosen were from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into a service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Great, thank you. Chelsea, let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for your word that feeds us, that enriches us, that helps us to know you better. And uh, as we think a little bit about this passage and some other passages this morning, we ask that you would teach us, that you would even just speak to us as I'm speaking um, about what it means to have strong, healthy foundations in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you know a little bit of uh, context, a little bit of history, about 600 years before Jesus comes to earth, uh, Israel is overthrown, Jerusalem is overthrown, and the strong, the brave, the mighty, beautiful young men of Israel are carried away into captive. Think Matt Bird, basically. That's who he was. They were... Like only one person laughed, so everyone else obviously thought it was serious. Uh, they were carried away into captivity. And these young people were put through this very rigorous indoctrination campaign. They were given new names. If you notice, Daniel was given the name Belteshazzar, um, and his friends were given new names. They, were tried, they went through this education to rid them of their kind of faith, to rid them of their relationship with God, to, to put them into this kind of polytheistic culture, whether they would kind of thrive in this new way, in this new way, in new being. And actually, it was very dangerous. It was very dangerous to have a relationship with God. The Babylonians didn't believe in one God. They were very polytheistic. They believed there were loads of different gods. They believed that you know kings could be gods, people could be gods. Um, and for a young man like Daniel is actually really dangerous, really difficult place to be. But if we go through, if you go all the way to Daniel chapter 6, what you read is that Daniel, far from getting like beaten up by Babylon, far from being you know, persecuted, far from struggling in that really hostile environment, Daniel actually thrives. And he really, really thrives, not just for a few years, but he actually becomes one of the chief officials in that government. He's someone who has an incredible relationship with God. He has this incredible prophetic voice within the culture. He becomes a politician and actually lasts and lives a very long life within Babylon, serving God in that context. So how does he do it? And that's what we want to think about as we go through it. What was the foundations that Daniel had in his life that we too might want to have in ours? Well, if you go through it, you might say uh, that Daniel had a plan. And the, the plan that Daniel had would fall into what we would call today a rule of life. Daniel had a rule of life. Now, um, when I first heard about a rule of life, I've got to be honest with you, 
I ran a mile. Uh, it's not that I don't like the word life. I like the word life. Uh, it's not that I have anything against the word of. I'm quite you know, impartial about the word of. But the word rule and me, not always like the best friends. And if you're sitting next to someone this morning who absolutely hates rules, just feel free to just, you know, just give them a slight poke in, in the ribs. Um, but don't worry. If you're the person who's sitting next to somebody who always obeys rules, irrespective of what they are, whether they make sense or not, you can give them a poke in the ribs. I feel like we did a little bit of relational uh, therapy there this morning. But the word rule that we actually want to think about this morning is not the kind of sense of having to do more to please God. It's not the idea of we've got to do the right things and if we don't do the right things, God's going to be angry with us. It's not about the sense of like New Year's resolutions of trying to beat ourselves into better shape. The word rule that uh, is, we're going to use this morning actually comes from a very old word. It's the Greek word for the word trellis. Um, we've got one up here just on my right. Um, if you go out as... Uh, Laura and I did uh, over Christmas, and you go out into up the five out of LA through the mountain pass, and you come down the grapevine, you find yourself in the beautiful expanses of open countryside of California. Now, if you go there in the summer, you see these huge grapevines and beautiful growth and lush fruit and all of those kind of things. Um, if you go in the winter, as Laura and I did, you actually see what looks like empty fields, twigs, and not all else. Except if you look closely, what you actually see is this trellis structure. And it basically is wire and it is wood. And what it does is it holds the vines in a particular way. It keeps them up off the ground so they can get oxygen. It keeps them safe away from predators and the frost and the damp. And it allows the, the, the grapevine to grow up in a beautiful way and produce much fruit. And in the first centuries after Christ, when you know, Jesus' followers were living in extremely difficult uh, conditions, they too realized that they needed things in their life that were going to provide a structure, a way of being a human being, a way of surviving the really difficult things of life so that they too could provide fruit. And uh, a lot of people over this last year have realized, man, we too need a way of being alive. We need a way that is bigger than just our Bible study or just our Sunday services. We need some stuff in our life that's going to provide some shape to how we thrive in 2021. So what I want us to do, this is going to be a little bit practical, a little bit different kind of sermon this morning, is I want to take us through a little framework. When um, I'm borrowing it from the wonderful Pete Scazzaro, these are my books this morning. Pete Scazzaro, you can see this one, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, Pete is an amazing author and speaker, uh, all in the area of kind of emotional health and, and uh, life. And so I borrowed that from him. And what I've done is if you go to our website, and you can do this now if you want to, or you can look it up later, uh, vintagepasadena.com uh, forward slash rule, or if you go to the resources section, you'll see it, rule of life. We've created a little template for you that you can use. And what I'm hoping and I'm praying for is that this week in your community groups, as you go through the rest of the week and into next week, that you'll take a little bit of time to think and to pray and just to ask the Holy Spirit, hey, Holy Spirit, what, do you, what would you want to say to me about 2021? What might I need to put in my shape for life? Some things you might want to remove, some things you might want to add into your rule of life. And I'm going to just take us through it uh, this morning and uh, then I'm going to leave you to go and you know do some fun things and hopefully do some praying. Now, before you go, I really don't want a rule of life. Here's the good news. You probably already have one. You probably already have things in your life that you do day to day. I imagine your rule of life probably already includes, I eat three meals a day 
or <laughs> I eat two meals a day and coffee because I'm Californian, so I don't eat breakfast, or like whatever it might be. We all kind of already have a rule of life, but the idea behind the rule of life is not so we just live our best life, but actually we would put things in place to allow us to flourish, to allow us to flourish realizing that God loves every part of who we are, that God cares about our work, God cares about our relationship, God cares about our health, God cares about all that we are, and so every area of our life needs a sense of intentionality so that we can flourish and we can build our strong roots in Jesus. So these are the four headings, and if you're on the website, you'll be able to see them right now. They are uh, prayer and worship, like, thank you, Jesus. He's talking about prayer and worship. We're in church. Got it. Fantastic. Uh, work and activity. Uh, 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 rest. And then finally, relationships. Now, the first one, prayer and worship, is obviously a massive thing that you want to talk about within the Christian life. I understand that. And because of that, we're actually going to set aside next week and the week after to talk about prayer. And then we're going to talk about worship the week after that. Um, but today, I'm just going to run through these three other ones. I want to run through work and activity, and I'll run through uh, rest, and I want to run through relationships. I'm going to give you a little tiny bit of theology for each one of them. Uh, I'm going to tell you uh, what I'm thinking about doing in my rule of life, um, and then hopefully that will, if nothing else, just prompt you to think, well, what am I going to do in, in my kind of space? What do I want to include? Now, I would just say as well, straight up, you don't have to have the same categories that I have. The idea is that it encompasses all of your life, but you might want to adjust these a little bit if you want to do them slightly differently, but the, the goal is to include every different space that we live into. So, all right, work and activity. So the theology behind this is that every part of who we are is designed, is, uh, is empowered, is equipped by God. If you go to Genesis chapter one in the Bible, I was just talking to someone before the service about starting at the beginning in the Bible. Genesis chapter one is the story of God creating the world. And if you look in Genesis chapter one, you see about a God who creates, who is creative, who works extremely hard to create a world. It's not like a passive activity. It's really, really busy and active and involved. If you then go through the big heroes of the Christian life, you go to David or Mary or Ruth or Jesus or the disciples or you go to Paul, you see this theology of work, that work really matters, activity matters. You know, David is a shepherd, Mary is a mother, Jesus is a carpenter, the disciples are fishermen and tax collectors and all sorts of things, and Paul is a tent maker. That the whole theology of work is really important to us. And we could talk for months and months about why work really matters. But the question I want you to think about in your rule of life is, how do we work? How do we work? And how we work actually impacts the whole of the rest of our lives. So what would the Holy Spirit want to say to you as you start a new year about the place of activity? Whether you're a homeschool mom, whether you are a Zoom employee, whether you are a bus driver, what would the Holy Spirit want to say about where work fits into your life? Now, the truth is, like, we are in an incredibly busy society, even in COVID. We live in 24-7 world, right? I am never further away from work than my laptop is, or if I'm really honest, than my phone is from my hand. That's how far I get from work. You know, planning a church, just like, you know, some of you guys run organizations or work in offices, actually is always with us. And the way that we work, the attitude that we have towards work, the way that we approach work and we and, sh and take time out from work 
has a huge amount to say. And so I want you to just think this week, how, Holy Spirit, would you like to speak to me about the place that work has, the identity that I find from work, about what it would feel like to thrive in my work this year, enabling me to thrive in other areas. So that's the first area. Second area to do with work is actually about our ministry. If you notice about Daniel, Daniel becomes a politician. That's his, his work. But he also is a prophet. He has a spiritual gifting. And we're going to take some time out later in the term, later in the semester, to think about our spiritual gifts, about the ministries that we offer, and the ministries that we serve other pe- people with. Now, I know within the life of a church, you know, ministry feels kind of different and a bit weird uh, in the middle of COVID. But I want you to think, when you think about your role, Where are the things that make my heart come alive? What are the areas of service? You know, I figured out early in life that I just love to see churches birth and grow. You know, I just figured out I love to kind of speak and teach the Bible, and that makes me come alive. What are the areas in your rule of life that just make your heart sing? What are those things that you would love to push into in 2021, whether it's kind of inside a church setting or whether it's right out in the environment? Where are the places of ministry? But then finally in working and also in activity, it's okay, and this is not a normal thing to talk about church, I know, to think about the kind of way that we treat our bodies. As you can see, I am a fine specimen and an expert in this. <laughs> But if you look uh, in the 1 Corinthians, uh, you read about this beautiful uh, sense that we are, uh, uh, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. That we are not just kind of, uh, just a housing for something you know, spiritual to happen, that actually God cares about our bodies. When Jesus came to earth, he came as an incarnated being and what therefore we do with our bodies actually like, matters. So when you think about your rule of life, you might want to do what Daniel did. Like Daniel was in this place where he was in an environment where they, they just basically said to him, have all the finest food, have loads of alcohol, that's what you need. And if you do those, you'll be much better. Now, 3,000 years ago, Daniel figured out that's not actually a really great way to be fit and healthy. And actually said, no, if you look at uh, Daniel chapter one, verse eight, actually he comes up with a totally different diet for his life, which is about vegetables and all these kind of things. Now, you can be a vegetarian if you want in 2021. I'm not gonna be a vegetarian in 2021. But the concept is that it matters what we put inside us. Like I figured out the first year I was in LA, I basically just drove backwards and forwards to the west side many times a week. I ate a lot of donuts. I didn't do any exercise. And halfway through the year, I felt terrible. I, I had put on a lot of weight. I just was miserable, all of those kind of things. And I realized, well, actually my spiritual life is absolutely connected to how I look after my body. I know you're Californians, you get that much better than I did. Um, So I went to find the gym, and as you can tell, the gym is now closed again. Um, But I have since found my park around the corner, and there's a little place where I can go in the morning, worship God, do some exercise. What would the Holy Spirit actually say to you? I bet you maybe you've never asked this question. What would the Holy Spirit say to you about how you look after the very body that you have got? And in that, what about the things that you put in your body? Like I was thinking for my, my rule of life in 2021, actually I this year don't wanna be someone who needs caffeine to wake up and alcohol to go to sleep. I've just decided that. Now I'm, I don't think I'm an addict of either of those things, but I don't wanna be someone who is dependent on substances to be alive. I don't think that the Holy Spirit would say that's how I should live. I've lost you all because I said coffee is a bad thing, didn't I? Sorry, okay, <laughs> coffee is okay, it's fine, it's okay, it's all right. But what would the Holy Spirit say? So work and activity, 
what would God say to you about how you are gonna structure your life, the activity, so that you might thrive and your relationship with Jesus might thrive in 2021? Third category, okay. The flip side of work and activity is obviously rest. Now you say the word rest, people have two responses, right? The first response is, yes. I love rest. Give me a sofa, a couch, and a TV remote, and I'm good for a month. Like that's the first response. The second response, which is me if I'm honest, is I have no idea how to rest. I don't know how to stop. You know, the 24-7 world we live in increasingly tells us you have to be on the go all the time. If you are not doing something productive with your life at any given moment, you should be anxious, you should be fearful, because you are not worth anything in society. Well, actually, though, you go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is about work. Genesis chapter 2, though, starts like this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Hmm. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he'd done. Now, you may want to argue that, maybe, that God was tired, that God needed a break. But it seems from the language that is used in Genesis that rest is very much part of the creation plan. That taking time to stop in that kind of six on and one off way is exactly how God intended the world to be. Now, I grew up like with stories from my grandparents who used to say, you know, on Sabbath, we didn't do anything and we locked ourselves in our houses and the shops were shut and no sporting events and all that kind of stuff. Like nowadays, that's not how it is, right? Well, I mean, there aren't any sporting events and the shops are shut, but normally speaking, <laughs> that didn't work very well. Uh, normally speaking, right, Sabbath has died. You know, if we get to Sunday and at least we can go to the stores or we can go to sporting events or we can do whatever we want because we fill it with all the things we didn't get to do in the other six days of the week. Yeah, if you look through scripture, there is a really clear mandate, uh, instruction that we should have rest, that we should be able to stop. So when I think about my rule of life for this year, I'm going to ask myself the question, what do I do to Sabbath? Now, obviously, I'm working today. You're not working today. I am working today. My Sabbath is not Sunday. Laura and I have a Sabbath on, on Fridays. But I want to write into my rule of life this year that for one day a week, I am actually not going to answer emails. Like, shock, horror, right? One day a week, I'm actually not going to answer the phone unless I need to do it for restful purposes. Like, one day a week, I'm actually going to disconnect. And I want to just point you, because I, I haven't got time to talk about it too much today, but my second little book recommendation, here it is. Um, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry if ever there was a good book title, John Mark Comer. Um, I just want to encourage you to have a read of this. If you want to think about Sabbath in your life and the way that you might use Sabbath, then I just want to encourage you to think about what would it mean to like take time out? And that's a weekly thing, but it's also, it might be a daily thing. You know, I was challenged recently, what would it look like to not sleep with my phone next to my bed? Like I actually made that decision earlier in the end not to sleep with my phone next to my bed, and it lasted about three weeks, and I don't even remember making the decision, but guess where my phone lives again? By my bed. Um, so my rule of life this year, I'm just going to say, no, I don't want to be like that. I want to take time to rest. Because when I rest, when I go to bed at the right time, guess what? I get to wake up at the right time, which means I get to spend time with Jesus. So what might God say to you about rest? And it might be, 
you need to get your butt in gear and do less resting, but most likely for most of us it will be maybe you should get a little rest occasionally. And then the final one, because um, I'm just whizzing through these just to give you some information to get you going. What about relationships? I don't know if you ever noticed this, but when Jesus comes to earth, the most self-sufficient, godly person that's ever existed on the planet, what does he do? He invests his life so deeply in loving others. Jesus, God himself, has a best friend, John. He has the three. He has the 12. He has the 72. Jesus is someone who is deeply relational, And what I've realized, and I'm sure you do too, is that for me to thrive, I have to have relationships with other people who are thriving. One day, um, some religious leaders go and see Jesus, and they say, hey, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest rule? Basically, if you're going to have a rule of life, what's the greatest rule of all the rules? And Jesus basically answers, he says, you can't have one. He won't give them a one. He gives them a two. A and a B. He says, A, love God, worship pray, invest your whole heart and life into that with your whole self, and B, love your neighbor. Love the people around you. That human flourishing is entirely connected to how we engage our hearts, our lives, in the hearts and the lives of the people next to me. Now, we can translate that really easily. The people around me don't love me very well. You know, like, it's easy this Christmas to go, that person didn't phone me at Christmas, they didn't Zoom call me, I didn't get to see them, they don't care about me. That's easy way to think about relationships. But Jesus turns on his head and he says, no, the command is to go and love unconditionally the people who are next to us. When I think about your rule of life this year, what would it look like for you to be the instigator of loving others this year? What would it look like to be that person, and thank you for the people in this community who are these people, who picks up their phone and just texts in the morning, hey, I just want to tell you I love you and I'm thinking about you. If it's a boyfriend, girlfriend thing. No, anyway, let's leave that one there. (laughs) But what would it look like to invest our lives in other people? What would it look like to care for other people, to be the instigator? Do you know, in our community, right today, I said it a little bit early on, we've got people who are in ICU today. We've got people who are in quarantine today. We've got people who have lost loved ones. We've got people who have lost jobs. We've got people who are homeless today. We've got people who are living alone today. We have the whole spectrum. And relationships matter. And how I thrive is totally dependent on how you thrive. And so what about your rule of life? My final thing I want to just say is what would it look like for you to invest in others in 2021. There's a reason here at Vintage that we talk about community groups and it's lovely having Lisa here this morning who uh, does our community group administration for us and coordination. There's a reason we have community groups. Yes, it's the place of mission. Yes, it's the place of worship. Yes, it's the place where we pray, but it's also the place where we love each other. It's also the place where we care for each other. It's also the place where we check in and say, how are you doing? And they go, and the other person says, I had a terrible Christmas. And we say, let's pray for you and love you. So what would it look like to invest? So just to summarize and just to say, uh, the goal of this is not to get you to be busier. The goal of this is not to get you your Californian best Instagrammable life that you can impress everybody else with this year. But the goal of this is to put some foundations into your heart, into your structures, into your weeks, so that you can thrive. And that when you thrive, whether this year turns out to be terrible, 
in which case you will have the foundations to weather the storm, or it turns out to be wonderful, and therefore you have the ability to keep your feet rooted in Jesus this year. These are the things that uh, are with you throughout the year. So what I'd, I'd love you to do, I'm just gonna pray. I'd love you this week, if you're up for it, um, just to take some time out. Take some time with Jesus. You can download the rule of life that's on the website. Um, in your community groups, you might want to think and talk this through this week. I really encourage you to do that, community group leaders. What would it look like to put our roots down deep into Jesus this year? We're not going to change the world outwardly probably in the next couple of months. We're going to be in lockdown. But we do have this moment to go deep and further to put the structures in place in Jesus. So let's pray together.